all ninjas, calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. Figured something out. I thought we're done. We've got the answers. We're going to be fine. No, there was something else going on. And then I get that layer and go, okay, now we're done. And we've got the answers. No, it was just layer after layer. But the first thing we figured out was there was a propensity for high intracranial pressure. This podcast is sponsored by the Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 252 with the founder of TJ Nutrition and author of The Driscoll Theory, Diana Driscoll. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you will learn three main things. What the vagus nerve is and what it does, how infections can trigger pressure on the vagus nerve, and how pressure on that vagus nerve can create symptoms of chronic fatigue, GI issues, panic attacks, among many other things. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout out to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really appreciate you tuning in, and we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. We, you, we. (laughs) (laughs) We are, but you are. (laughs) We are, and you are now officially Lyme Ninjas. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. This past week we've had listeners tune in from Albany, New York to Helsinki, Finland. Thanks, Aurora. And tell us a little bit more about Dr. Diana Driscoll. While on a mission trip in 2004, Dr. Diana Driscoll contracted a virus which left her disabled. She developed POTS, gastroparesis, headaches, and a constellation of other symptoms. Constellation. A constellation. It's not like a consolation prize. (laughs) No, no, it definitely wasn't. It's a booby prize. She was unresponsive to traditional treatment and worsened every year. But when her eight-year-old son started developing similar symptoms after getting sick, she made it her personal mission to understand what was going on with her and her family. She eventually discovered she had an issue with the vagus nerve and acetylcholine. She developed a supplement that could address what was going on. She founded TJ Nutrition and worked to help others with invisible illnesses by supporting the vagus nerve. Now, why did you want to talk to Dr. Driscoll? 
Well, as you're beginning to learn by now, all you listeners out there, that there are three phases on our Lyme journey roadmap, reboot, resolve, and restore. Now, one of the interesting things is Dr. Driscoll's symptoms and her theory about why the symptoms came about, and they sound plausible to me after listening to her, and I think you will too, is the infections left some damage behind that needed to be corrected. And the damage was with the vagus nerve, particularly, and created a whole constellation of related symptoms because that nerve was irritated or compressed or irritated and compressed or whatever was actually happening there. I don't think anybody actually images the vagus nerve to know for sure. Regardless, she was struggling. And this is one of the things you have to look for as you come out of treating the Lyme disease, however you're doing it, whether you're doing it with antibiotics, where you're doing it with herbs, where you're doing it with all of the above, saunas, ozone therapy, IV therapy, Rife machine, you know, all the w- different ways you can go kill the bugs. At the end, when all the bugs are dead, there can still be disease symptoms left. It's a mistake to go back and bombed, bomb your already bombed out body with more antibiotics. You need to start thinking outside the tick in this last phase. So this is what this is about. This is to bring one of those weird diagnoses that comes out of left field, but gee, it sounds an awful light like Lyme disease. So when we have these overlapping causes and symptoms, it's really important to go and find the real cause. Especially with a disease like Lyme disease that can trigger so many other Other, underlying issues. And until we have better, we have decent testing to see whether the infections are still active. It gets really, really expensive to go back and test again and again and again, especially if you have co-infections as well. So it's important to keep these other things in mind especially when the tests come back and say, well, that doesn't seem to be active. And you say, but I'm still sick. It must still be active. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's not the bug. Maybe it's the damage from your body's fight with the bugs. So this is why we want to bring you these alternative theories, these alternative ways of treating your health. When you get to phase three, the reboot, think outside the tick. Start thinking outside the tick. All right. That sets up our interview with Dr. Diana Driscoll. Hello, Dr. Driscoll. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. It is so good to talk to you, McKay. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And it's going to be such a great conversation because your background is incredible. I love people like you who've got the clinical background, the research background, and have the curiosity background, and mix it all together and really pull things together. Because so many people suffering with Lyme Mm. and Lyme-like diseases really don't fit into any standard category, right? Or like we were talking a little bit earlier, they overlap into so many that it doesn't make any sense. So to have somebody synthesize things like you do is just incredible. Well, you are very kind. I wish I could say I, I dove into this because I wanted to, but I think being a patient, I've had the motivation and 
a different perspective than researchers who were not sick. And then both of my kids were sick. Like my son was completely disabled. He got sick when he was eight years old. So the motivation behind seeing your child suffer is also such a strong one that you never think illness is being an advantage. But in this case, it was. You know, my background is acupuncture, and one of the requirements mm -hmm. going through school was that you get treatment. And I always thought that surgeons should go through <laughs> surgery just just to create a little bit of sympathy for what they're creating from on the other side. Absolutely. If we had more researchers with invisible illnesses, we would be further down the road and getting answers, I have no doubt. But it's not something I would wish on anyone. No. No, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Right. You started out as an ophthalmologist. Do I have that correct? An optometrist. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Optometrist. That's okay. Real close. Now, why optometry? What inspired you? Way oh, that's interesting. When. Yes. Well, I kind of grew up in an eye doctor's office. I was very nearsighted, and it seemed like such a clean profession. I almost went to law school. <laughs> I which love that. It's a clean profession. It is. Very, very rarely. I felt rarely. the same about acupuncture. <laughs> I used to tell people, I don't like blood. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And it was very awesome. precise, and I was a very yes. precise person, and um, it just seemed to fit my, my personality and did very well for me for, for decades. Mm -hmm. And then your world changed. It did. Almost overnight. Yes. What happened? Oh, boy, I so didn't see this coming, McKay, but I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica and all of us got sick. Don't I can't not blame that wonderful country for for getting sick, but everybody got sick, but I was the only one who didn't seem to pull out of it. And all these weird symptoms started happening. I was told just to rest for a while, which I did, but I couldn't breathe, which was one of the worst things. I started to notice my heart rate and blood pressure were going strangely. Digestion was affected on and off. I couldn't control my temperature. Um, I just couldn't figure it out. And then over time, it started to morph into more like chronic fatigue. First, I couldn't sleep. I had just horrible insomnia. I was up for days sometimes. And then as the fatigue, if you want to call it fatigue, which I really don't like that term, hit. Why? Why don't you like that it term? It so minimized what I was feeling. I, I uh, could move yeah. sometimes. I yeah. told my husband, if the house was on fire, it's going to burn around me. I can't even garner up enough adrenaline to move sometimes. So it was so far beyond that. And at that point, I couldn't stay awake. So I was awake maybe three hours a day. And those three hours were really tough. But even scarier is when our kids got sick. And my son, especially, as I mentioned, eight years old, got a series of three viruses and each one just knocked him down further and no one could help him. He started fainting and then he started to just waste away. We pulled him from school because we weren't getting any answers. He was too sick to even be tutored. But he he got so undernourished. Wow. He developed severe osteoporosis. He broke his arm throwing a ball he broke his arm putting on his coat one day, and yet we went everywhere for answers and couldn't find them. So that was really terrifying. 
I can't even imagine the no malnutrition cases like that, but that's right. the most intense, incredible I've heard. Well, his, his growth stopped. I had a growth chart on him. His growth had stopped too. And But you feel like if your children get sick, I mean, someone's going to be able to have an answer for that, right? And nope, they had no answers. And we just weren't getting any help. And that was really the, the most frightening part. So let's cut to the chase because after yeah. all this one in my head because I won't be able to think of anything else. Is he doing <laughs> He's doing great. Okay, Thank you for asking. <laughs> he is the poster child for recovery. I told him, I don't know of anyone who got any sicker than he did, certainly. And after three years of missing school, we were on a mission to get answers. Fortunately, we got the, got the answers. He's doing great. He has not been sick and many years, nor does he think of himself as a sick person. He's now an athlete, of all things, um, in volleyball. He's in a, his senior year in college and nearly straight A's. So it's it's amazing to, to, to see how well he's doing after we've lived that journey. I wish we'd had a crystal ball back then, McKay, because it was so scary and we could have looked in that crystal ball and said, this is all going to work out. But we didn't know it's going to be years and years for answers. Now, at the time, did you know it was infection-based? Did you suspect it was? Or did you thought, well, the trigger, the infection triggered something that was latent in his system? What right. were you thinking at the time? Well, it made it a little more obvious if we looked at both of us, because I had a viral trigger and James had a series of three regular viruses. These weren't weird viruses. All of his friends got them, but it was his body's inability to deal with it properly. And we knew early on that's where we needed to focus. It wasn't so much in identifying those regular viruses because everyone else did fine. <laughs> so why didn't we do fine? Where, where was the difference there? It was something that our bodies couldn't handle well. It tripped off something. And although at the time we didn't know what it tripped off, we were looking at ways that we could maybe get back to where we were. And it was so hard because we were giving given so much bad advice. We walked away from lumbar punctures, neck fusion surgeries, um, a brain shunt, uh, curare surgery, gallbladder removal and ended up uh, doing better for it. But we learned we had to take all the advice we were given and end up putting it through our own filter. And that's not a comfortable place to be, not at all. Right, and you have a medical background, and that, mm -hmm. this is the thing that amazes me so much, and how, how much the medical system has changed in that there's nobody really to hold your hand and guide you anymore. Right. Not with right. these conditions. You are right. We certainly couldn't find it. And I even, once I was diagnosed with autonomic dysfunction or POTS, first we celebrated, yay, we have a diagnosis. That means yeah, exactly. Like, you no. feel better just having a diagnosis, <laughs> right? right? No. Somebody and knows what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. They'll know what to do and, and we'll have a <laughs> treatment plan. Well, no, yeah. no, not so much. Yeah, we did have a treatment yeah. plan, but that was all centered on trying stand to stand up slowly. Systems. Right. Put your feet on the floor first, right? Yeah. Have a lot of salt, you know, beta yeah. blockers, compression hose, whatever. But I, I would tell my doctors the orthostatic problems were the least of our worries. I was sick in any position. Um, 
when I was vertical, my heart rate would go faster, but it wasn't normal in any position. And I even asked him, can you ignore the heart rate and look at everything else that's going on? He said, no, nope, can't do that. So nothing was really making any sense to me. And no one could tell me why my heart was racing like that. So how until how fast would it go? My resting heart rate, McKay, was 122 for a while. <laughs> and that's so not to normal. Walk. <laughs> that's, yeah, you're jogging in place at all times. But again, mm. that part didn't bother me. It really didn't. You um, didn't feel, right? You didn't. You couldn't tell no, that hard. Not much. You? No. Yeah. What? In fact, when they artificially tried to slow it down with beta blockers, okay, oh, then it was a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so your heart's compensating. It's compensating. Right. And I said, right. what is it compensating for? Because yeah. until we figure right. that out, I might need that fast heart rate. Because um, slowing it down, I just felt like I got run over by a truck. Yeah. But they just really didn't know what to do. And even after participating in clinical trials at Mayo, which I thought, okay, this is great. New research. I was in three of their trials. I they'll have some answers. Their conclusion was, oh, POTS patients are perfectly normal. We're just more aware of our own bodies. I was horrified. You're kidding. Horrified by that. And my condition wasn't subtle. My son's was not subtle. It wasn't like we could just push through this, you know. But I thought, okay, if these are the best minds that work on this, we are on our own. And we set up a, a corporation, genetic disease investigators. I thought, there's likely some genes at play here. What are the chances I could get sick? Both of um, our kids could get sick, and yet my husband wasn't affected. So there's likely some genes involved. And we wanted to get some answers. So that's where we put all of our money, all of our time, or all of, all of my time. My husband was still trying to keep food on the table to get some answers. And I can't ask any other question because I know everybody else has the same one. What uh -huh. did you find? Oh, it was layers and layers and layers. Every time I figured something out. I thought, we're done. We've got the answers. We're going to be fine. No, there was something else going on. And then I get that layer and go, okay, now we're done. And we've got the answers. No, it was just layer after layer. But the first thing we figured out was there was a propensity for high intracranial pressure in these patients. It wasn't just my kids and I. And I uh, released that information in a book called The Driscoll Theory with some other things we were finding. And that was amazing. It went worldwide, changed lives. Awesome. It certainly changed my life getting that answer. But so it was a secondary. Just describe mm -hmm. exactly what that is. Yes. The high intracranial pressures, eye doctors, we, we would call it pseudotumor cerebri because the symptoms can mimic a brain tumor. The more current term is idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Uh, we didn't tend to present as typical. We usually look in the eyes and see a swollen optic nerve and eye doctors can immediately nail that and we, we treat that. But most of the patients didn't have a swollen optic nerve. So it was very easy to miss. You really, really have to look closely and look at the entire presentation. But we can lower the intracranial pressure. We stymox typically. And whew, I felt like I'd been reborn. But then came wow. the question, okay, 
why did that happen? And I, I did keep getting sicker until we got more answers. So the next big reveal came um, figuring out something was going on with the vagus nerve and we had, had to get some answers there. So in, in looking back, do you think the pressure in your brain damaged the nerve or do you think the I don't think so. other way around? Neither. I think these were two okay. things that were fairly disparate. Yeah. Huh. It wasn't intuitive <laughs> at all that one thing would involve another. The reason I started considering the vagus nerve, and back then no one was talking about the vagus nerve. It's a little bit more commonplace now. But you mentioned the vagus nerve, and the doctors looked at me like I had two heads. Um, but my heart rate was affected at about the same time my gut started to be affected. And I made a list of symptoms and they were always changing, which was really hard because you were chasing this moving target. But I'd sit down with them and try to group them or cluster them into categories and think, what could tie some of these together? If, if I had 50 symptoms, I knew I didn't have 50 unrelated conditions. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just not realistic. And right. I started to think, well, the, the vagus nerve would try tie together quite a few things if that was an issue. And I looked at it, maybe it was compressed at my neck. That was my first thought. But I didn't know if that was right or not. But I did start to look into okay, could this be part of the problem? And um, I, I, I guess there was some divine intervention here, though, McKay, because it, it became very obvious, and I had uh, a few opportunities for confirmation, which really helped me to get answers. So I don't know if you want that story, but it was, it was a, a necessary part of the, the journey to go through. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, let's go into the details there, because I think they're important for people who this may be an issue, uh, because like you said, it is this unthought of uh, forgotten nerve control center that's regulating everything all the time in the background and can cause weird, you know, everything from panic attacks to mm -hmm. you know, irritable bowel. That's right. That's right. Well, what happened to me, it became so obvious, I, I ended up with just complete gastroparesis, just nothing was moving. I couldn't have a bowel movement, and I know a little TMI there, but it had been 11 days since I'd had a bowel movement, and I had tried everything. I had four big Tupperware containers of every GI medication in demand, either to start, to stop, or work around, or whatever, and I had gone through, through everything. I was just miserable. It wasn't just the fact I couldn't have a bowel movement, but that on top of just being so sick, you just feel horrible from head to toe, and it was just too much. And I went to my doctor, and she really didn't have anything that she could add that I hadn't already tried. But I told her I did have some vague discomfort down in the lower right-hand quadrant of my abdomen. And she said, hmm, well, maybe it's a kidney stone. Maybe I'll send you to a urologist. And I thought, well, I've never had a kidney stone. But from what I'd heard from friends, it didn't sound like it was a kidney stone. But I don't, I don't think she knew what else to do. So she sent me to a urologist. And he gave me this dye to drink and imaged me for stones. And there was no stones. And 
um, he was just a real nice guy. So I talked to him about what I was considering on the vagus nerve. And I said, if this is a vagus nerve issue, could this pain be the valve between the large and small intestine, the ileus equal valve? And he thought that was just fascinating. And he said, tell you what, I have a, a surgeon buddy right up the hall. Why don't you trot on up and talk to him about it? Maybe he can help with this. And I talked to him and told him what I was thinking. And he said, Diana, if you think it's a vagus nerve problem, don't have abdominal surgery unless it's life-threatening because we cause gastroparesis. You know, we cut right through these nerves. I was horrified. I, I appreciated his honesty, but I went home and still didn't have any answers. I went to the emergency room. Um, at that time, they did check my gallbladder, wondering if that pain was gallbladder. And that was interesting, McKay, because my gallbladder wasn't working. They said it's 8% shut down as well. Shut down, completely shut down. 8% ejection fraction. And I didn't. Did you, did yeah. you lose your appetite? Could you eat? Oh, gosh, some. You know, you hate to eat when you're that. Um, yeah, distended, <laughs> yes. but I had to eat some and I was thirsty, you know, oh, but um, the gallbladder, although they wanted me to remove it, I thought this just doesn't sound like it's urgent. It's not filled with gallstones. I asked if it was going to explode like an appendix or something. Well, it's no, infected. it just wasn't working. It's just sitting there, you know, so I thought this sounds neurological. It just sounds like it's sitting there waiting for someone to say, you know, it's time, Mr. Gallbladder, spit out some bile. It just wasn't yeah. getting the word. But um, then what happened, and we talk about that divine um, intervention thing, three days after I saw that urologist, I got a kidney stone. And this was, no. I, I swear, and that's what my doctor said. No, <laughs> I said, no, I realized three days ago when I saw you, I didn't have a stone. I understand that. I accept that, but I do now. And it's, yeah. they're just so painful, you know, right away. And he met me at the hospital and he removed the stone. But as soon as I woke up, he was right there. And he said, Diana, you're right. I said, what? He said, it's your ileocecal valve. I said, oh, how do you know that? Some of that dye I gave you three days ago is all inside you, but it's crammed up against that valve. They use imaging to pull out the, the stone. I said, oh, that's amazing. We have confirmation. What do I do? And he said, well, I don't know. I just was here to remove your stone. <laughs> so, that's not my part of the body. That's right. So I went home miserable. And then I thought, okay. I'm on my own. I've gone to every doctor I know of to go to and can't get any help with this. Let's just assume I'm right. Let's say, this is a vagus nerve problem. What could I do? And I remembered back in school studying uh, the cranial nerve, studying the vagus nerve. And I remembered there are two parts to the nerve. There's the long, what we call a preganglionic part. It goes from the brain down the neck into the chest cavity, down into the abdomen. And then there's a tiny gap, what we call synapse. And there is a real small postganglionic vagus nerve. And I remember the professor saying, the postganglionic vagus nerve is so small, it's almost a part of the organ itself. What I don't know, McKay, is why I remember these details from like 35 years ago. I mean, it's just kind of freakish, but I think my nerdism 
played in my favor on this one. <laughs> so I remembered like it was, I was in school yesterday and I thought, okay, as far as I know, I still have this postganglionic vagus nerve. How could I maybe stimulate that nerve to help me? Yes. So I thought about the neurotransmitters. Nerves communicate with a chemical, of course, a neurotransmitter. I thought, what's the neurotransmitter of the vagus nerve? Well, that's acetylcholine. That came back to me right away. Well, we can't use acetylcholine. It's not a drug. The body breaks it down immediately. So you have to use a substitute or what's called an agonist. And I thought, okay, what's the agonist? As you learn these in school, the agonist for every neurotransmitter out there, what's the agonist for the postganglionic part of the vagus nerve? And I thought, oh, well, that's easy. That's one of the few I remember because the vagus nerve is the only nicotinic acetylcholinergic nerve in the body, meaning its agonist is nicotine. So I called my husband at the office and I said, can you swing by Walgreens on the way home and get me a nicotine pack? Pack of cigarettes. <laughs> That's right. And it occurred to me, you know, but I thought, okay, let's try a patch first. And I didn't know if it mattered where I put it, but I put it over that lower right hand. Yeah, of course. And I kind of pictured the nicotine going through the skin. It's transdermal after all. And then going down and maybe landing on that postganglionic vagus nerve and seeing if it would stimulate a bowel movement. And so is this, is this one reason? Sorry, I, I oh, stepped okay. on the, your, the, the end of the story. It worked. <laughs> it worked. It was amazing. Like an hour, hour and a half or so. And, yeah. And you I know when you do. The okay. right intervention, mm-hmm. things move quickly, right? That's right. It was a perfectly normal bowel movement. The valve opened beautifully. And I used that patch four days straight, had no problems at all. And Incredible. Yeah. Well, I thought, okay, we've got some lessons here. One, the receptors are working great. All the research to date had been assuming there's some autoimmune condition uh, affecting those receptors. No, the receptor. stores of the receptors. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll just fine. It was either a preganglionic vagus nerve problem or it was a neurotransmitter problem, an acetylcholine problem. And I had to figure out which one that was. That was just the next step. You got curious. Yes, yes. Do you think this is one of the reasons why people struggle so much getting off cigarettes? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The receptors, when they're given a lot of nicotine, um, the receptors get barely numb to it, if you will. And they do depend upon it. Kind of, sort of, yeah. So they do depend upon it. It's very difficult sometimes to stop smoking unless you can substitute something to help you out with that or you'll get backed up. You bet. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this is, you'll love this story. I have a recent <laughs> patient who came in, I'm an acupuncturist, yeah. who had an emotional event, mm-hmm. trauma-ish, you know, not not serious trauma, but enough in day-to-day life, right? Pretty serious right. day-to-day life. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, she wasn't hijacked or kidnapped or anything. <laughs> totally horrible like that. But mm-hmm. it, was, it was traumatic for her. And one of her symptoms was her bowel stopped up. Oh, yes. That sympathetic. And I'm listening to you and thinking, okay, you know, that's exactly what's going on. That's right. It sounds like it anyway. The sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight was kicking in. And if she couldn't bring it down, it was overriding the parasympathetic. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That's rough. But when. um, Back to acetylcholine. 
Yeah, because I think that was half of the story. But had I stopped there and assumed it was a vagus nerve problem, I would have missed it and we'd still be sick, sick today. Um, and at that point, it wasn't all about me. <laughs> it was a big focus, right? But I had prettyill.com. We were reaching out to quite a few people and with this invisible illness community. And I really wanted to figure it figure out some answers for a group, not just for one person. But I sent out a symptom checklist over almost five years to chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, POTS and POTS EDS, fibromyalgia, and PTSD. Oddly that you just mentioned a traumatic event. It's not odd anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And in those symptoms, I, I... kind of tucked away symptoms of basically anticholinergic poisoning. If someone ingests a poison and it breaks down acetylcholine, we get certain symptoms. And it's something eye doctors are very familiar with because we use anticholinergic medications. The, the drops eye doctors use to dilate your eyes, for example. And lo and behold, it turned out the majority of every one of those classifications of patients showed the majority of symptoms of anticholinergic poisoning. And we hadn't been poisoned, okay? But we could look at that right, and say, where'd the acetylcholine go? And that was the next thing we had to consider. Is neuralgia one of those symptoms? No. Neuralgia is not a symptoms, but the, some of the weirder symptoms, McKay, were were some of the Ellie. visual symptoms, like visual yeah. snow or um, having difficulty seeing textured surfaces. You try to explain that to a doctor. That yeah, is <laughs> like, a weird one. Yes, and I would hear that from patients sometimes. At first, I'd go, "What? What's happening?" You know, some. A man said, I'm seeing parasites on the sides of my eyes. And but uh, what are you seeing? And and then finally it clicked. And what made it click was that visual snow symptom. Um, as eye doctors, we know if someone's having visual snow, it's likely an acetylcholine problem. That's the only known medical reason for that. So it helped me pull that together. But and what are some of the more common symptoms? Constipation. Fatigue, dry eyes, flushing, dry mouth, um, more Night emotion. Sweats? Yes, because flushing mm-hmm, can yeah, do that. You said the flushing, okay. Emotional instability, shall we say? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. So, so and and then then in terms of like the heart rate, and how about your blood pressure? Did that mm-hmm. vary too? Yes, it did. Um, at first, it would drop down, but when I was vertical, it would go up, um, uh, and that was tough to figure out. But it was basically all over the place. Honestly, it had no rhyme or reason. I even told um, my husband, the doctors will never figure this out. If I lie on one side in bed, my heart rate and blood pressure could do one thing. If I flipped around <laughs> to the other side, it would be completely different. And crazy isn't that wild the biggest nerve actually believe it or not mckay it sounds like it would be it was the intracranial pressure on the brain oh 
Okay. So yeah. yeah. But that was that was kind of the the issue was picking through those things and I didn't want to assume anything was right until proven otherwise and had to work through those details so carefully. Like nicotine, although the patch allowed me to have uh, bowel movements, yay. Um, it nicotine also activates inflammation, causes oxidation, releases chemicals like cellulase and elastase that actually destroy tissue. Not a good idea. And by day four, my abdomen looked like it had been eaten by fire ants. I couldn't continue it. This wasn't just a biggest nerve problem, though. I really wanted to try to figure out a way to do what nicotine did for my vagus nerve without nicotine. And I needed it to cross the blood-brain barrier to help acetylcholine for the brain. That was one reason I could not stay awake. I couldn't organize my thoughts. It started out, you know, you hear the term brain fog. And it started out like that where I felt like I was thinking through oil. But ultimately it got to I had zero short-term memory um, it was really terrifying. No executive function. I couldn't make a to-do list of two things to write down. Um, I just couldn't do it. That's going to sound so familiar to so many chronic Lyme patients. Oh. It's just shutting down like that. Well, the neurologist thought this is neurodegenerative. We just don't know yeah. what disease this is yet. And I believe it. I felt like it was neurodegenerative. But I thought surely it would have shown itself by now. No, it started to return immediately once I figured out how to put something together orally to take the place of all that. And? <laughs> and I'm like, hold them out for the punchline. Here you're taking a drink in the background there. You need a <laughs> it's quite the story. Well, okay, yeah. so you're finally, you're getting, you're sorting this out. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, nicotine isn't the solution. Acetylcholine's involved. Your vagus nerve is involved. Mm-hmm. Your swollen brain is involved. Mm-hmm. And so now you you realize there's no drug that's going to help me with this. So I need to figure this out myself. Exactly. Exactly. Again, on a mission, I thought, or I always liked organic chemistry. And I remember thinking, if I can keep my wits Wait a minute, about, say that again. I know, like, I know. I'm I, sorry. That's just. I like, think I've heard that once before. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange, right? Oh. But you just say I survived <laughs> organic chem. That's right. I'm not going to say it wasn't easy, but um, yeah. That's but I, awesome. <laughs> well, I thought, is there enough either medications, supplements, or ingredients out there that if I could figure this out, if I could cover for genetic defects dealing with acetylcholine because I thought that's where some of it was if I could allow it to cross the blood-brain barrier but I'll come into the body just just the right time at the same time and get that stimulation of the postganglionic vagus nerve just like nicotine did without the nicotine then we got something and immediately started working on it in fact it was it was three years basically in our kitchen trying to put this together and giving it to my son and I both. He, he always likes to say he was patient zero. It's like, no, he was patient one. I was patient zero. <laughs> um, and nailed it um, after a while. Got it um, so that indeed we could get the reassurance the vagus nerve was working by the bowel movement. 
And then we knew, okay, if we're getting the bowel movement, the organs are likely kicking into place. The brain was so immediate. I could immediately stay awake again. Uh, The first day I put this together, I could stay awake for an hour and a half and I could actually work and think. And then it it wore off. I thought I've got to go to bed. Thought, well, could I need more? You know, I took some more, came back, worked another hour and a half or so, and went through that five times. So that was very obvious. It was uh, doing what it needed to do for the brain. But praise God, that's what my son needed to start absorbing nutrients again. And ultimately, of course, recovered from osteoporosis. His growth resumed. And then eventually he was ready to start taking control himself, wanted to start working out, lifting weights, and yeah. and the rest, they say, is history. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. So can you explain, this I don't understand, mm-hmm. how does this system mm-hmm. affect nutrient absorption? That is a good question, because the vagus nerve controls every aspect of digestion, okay? So... It, for example, it, when food is on its way, even sometimes when we just smell it, we anticipate it, the vagus nerve tells the brain it's, it's on its way. The stomach acid production goes up to help us start breaking things down. It's, it tells the pyloric valve at the base of the stomach to open, to allow food to exit the stomach, go into, into the intestines. Importantly, it also tells the gallbladder when it's time to start kicking out bile. That's why my gallbladder wasn't working. And then it partially controls the pancreas to spit out digestive enzymes. It controls motility or movement of the stool throughout the GI tract. So when that's not working well, we don't digest well. We can't break down the food properly to then pull out the nutrients. There's a little more to it, though because the vagus nerve is also the anti-inflammatory nerve of the body. And if we're dealing with any sort of chronic inflammation, if we don't have that nerve working for us, we'll deal with more of that inflammation. And if that is preventing some of the nutrient absorption, say if the inflammation's in the gut, that can be a problem. So um, it calming all that down, getting all the organs working again and Luckily, like my gallbladder works great, and I put cheese on everything, you know, just for that reason. Um, then nutrient absorption normalizes again. Does it also uh, go like right into the small bowel? Well, I know the nerve does, but, mm-hmm. but but does you know? I don't. So you don't normally think of the actual absorption through the villi as being having a neurological component at all but i mean because you're talking about all those other functions the coordination the digestion i i get that and and that's Mm -hmm. enough for an explanation for me but i'm pushing a little bit is there actually something deeper in the small intestine that gets shut down when the when the vagus nerve isn't happy i don't believe so at least nothing obvious i don't think that's part of the issue i really don't but just purely the organs are there for a reason. They do allow yeah, yeah. us to get our nutrients. When that's not working, we see a lot of SIBO, CIFO. I had horrible dysbiosis and candida. It was awful, 
awful. I saw immunologists and they said, Diane, you've lost all ability to fight candida. And I said, well, great. You know, what do I do? I said, well, I don't have any idea what to do. But um, that was one of the issues. I was fighting it all the time. And I just don't have to worry about that anymore. It basically just took care of itself. Now, so, so you, as you're going through the story, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of actually two of my patients right now. Mm-hmm. And the the second one that I'm thinking about, um, it's mostly the first one kind of fits exactly what you're talking about. So I'm going to move on. So like, okay, we've got mm-hmm. we've got Dottie taken care of. <laughs> but the next the, the the next patient, her symptoms are mostly anxiety oh. and then distension for the most part right i mean her she gets stomach pain does that fit into that picture because she doesn't have the 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 SIBO overgrowth it's not at that point yeah possibly be just that irritation and you know that's that's kind of a a presentation we see a a fair amount of POTS care with uh, patients dealing with some sort of chronic inflammation i think if her doctor's focused on is there some hidden inflammation somewhere we wonder are the blood vessels leaking is that fluid that's causing the distension if it's not gas gas in there is it fluid it's likely one or the other Um, or we also look at is she having bowel movements but she's having to make them happen you know like i was Mm -hmm dependent upon um, laxatives etc or nothing normal happens there that's not good either so it takes picking it apart that's interesting yeah thank you mm-hmm. sure send me a bill for the company <laughs> that's right <laughs> so we were back to before i interrupted you again talking about your supplements Oh yes, what you discovered and what you put together. So let's right. let's bring this home. And so, what have you put together to help people with this? Do you have a name for it? This injury? yes, and this is so exciting to see it actually out there to help other people. Um, I ended up calling it Parasim Plus. Um, I was trying to think, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say we support the parasympathetic nervous system. It isn't just vagus nerve. Um, it allowed the heart to calm down, my breathing to calm down, um, tear production. That's also part of the parasympathetic nervous system. Depends upon acetylcholine, but plus it crosses the blood-brain barrier to boost acetylcholine for short-term memory, cognition, executive function, etc. And all of that was necessary. So, Parasim Plus has just been a game game changer for so many, and just received a second patent. For this one, no one had ever thought that there could be an oral mix of something that could help stimulate that nerve, that no one ever went there. And as an eye doctor, I will tell you, with our chronic dry eye patients, as eye doctors, we never thought of um, the autonomic nervous system. Of course not. Yeah, but that's controls tear production and chronic dry eyes is an inflammatory condition too so it also will stimulate the anti-inflammatory nerve about four to six weeks after uh, taking parasim plus we ran three clinical trials on this um, dry eyes went away i was like oh well yeah of course it did you know but it took me a while to put all that together so we're really excited about parasim plus um something i depend on today even to this day still do 
And so that's another interesting question. So, and I think this would be a good discussion. So you were clearly in the beginning when you're first taking this, you talked about, okay, I needed it every, what did you say? Two hours, three hours. Yes. That that was crazy. How, how long did it take to replete your system? How long did it take Mm -hmm. for you? So you were now on a maintenance dose, right? Was it a week, two weeks, three months, a year? Right. No, that's a really good question because we don't have a blood test for this, right? One reason I had to go from the symptoms and uh, we know if we get too much, we tend to get watery eyes, heart rate slows, we get too much saliva, never even came close to that. Um, But the first day, again, I was on five doses. I think I was probably the most extremely ill of, of any patient we've seen. Um, unable to stay awake, just down to nothing. But um, you don't have to, fortunately, get as sick as I was to be able to benefit from that. And I was on five doses just the first day or two. Then I went down to three for weeks. Then I was feeling more confident, went down to two. I had to be certain that the GI tract was still humming along. And I did not want to ever lose my brain function again. So I wanted to make sure I had enough support for the brain. I was on two doses for probably three years and then ultimately went down to one dose a day. And then I went to zero and that was a mistake. (laughs) Live and learn. (laughs) Well, I thought. You have a genetic predisposition. (sighs) Sometimes those things can be permanently supported. Yes. Well, none of us like to take pills and I'm one. And I thought, I think I'm good enough. I thought I have without this a a couple bowel movements a week. That's pretty good, right? You know, no, that's not pretty good. (laughs) But I hadn't been fatigued in years. And that's where I was judging it. But then I ended up in the hospital with an infection and they they scanned me and said, oh, you're full of stool. FOS is what you see on the record. And I thought, okay, that's not acceptable. Um, But went back on it when I got pancreatitis out of the hospital. I was terrified, McKay, because that can be really serious. And thought, is there any way if I get the vagus nerve back in on action here that it could nudge the pancreas and help control the inflammation enough that maybe I could pull out of that. And it took a month for full recovery, but it started to turn the corner in two days. So I told my husband, we need to get this out to others. It's doing more for inflammation behind the scenes when I'm not even aware of it. Um, So again, try to set out getting it out to the masses. And that was a lot of work, but it was so worthwhile. Dr. Driscoll, you've been incredibly generous with your time and sharing your story. Uh, it's just amazing. I just I learned so much from you today and really enjoyed it. How can people get in contact with you? Yeah, because I'm sure some are going to say, you know what, I need Dr. Driscoll. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Well, I am working full time, and I have been since I recovered from pods. Um, at Potscare, and we see patients full time. So I'm at potscare.com. Uh, Parison Plus and some other uh, supplement mixes I had to come up with, even just for my own recovery, honestly, is at uh, vegasnervesupport.com. And the forum I started when I was first sick called Pretty Ill is still alive. 
We're going to update it a little bit, but I answer questions and have always done so for over a decade, no charge, on the forum at Pretty Ill, and you, you can find me there too. So, and when I'm not working, I'm actually getting to enjoy a normal lifestyle, which is just an amazing thing to happen. Uh, I never saw that coming, and um, I... I think for anybody out there listening, no matter what your struggle is, especially though if it's in that invisible illness uh, realm like Lyme disease, know that there are answers. Um, don't ever lose hope because there are people working behind the scenes to get these answers. And as old as I was and as sick as I got, I could still recover. So um, to just hang on to hope, I think that's such a powerful thing. And um, I think all of us are grateful to you and for others who share information as we can. Sometimes it's patients helping other patients, and I, I get that too. So it's, it's been such an honor to be here. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you very much. Oh, you're so welcome. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. an incredible interview you know it it just really strikes home again and again how important it is to pay attention to inflammation and the damage that it does to to any part of the body it's like for her it was a vagus nerve for other people it could be i don't know the gi tract or or whatever it is right, it's your incredible heart, your liver yeah pancreas, right it can be anything your gut Inflammation is a very, very important part of healing. However, unresolved inflammation starts to cause damage. And that's the differentiation. There's kind of this thought out there. I was just at this herbal talk locally at the other side in downtown Utica. If you're ever hanging out in downtown Utica once a month, Pete gives a really, he's really knowledgeable about local herbs. So it's really cool to listen to talk. Anyway, the point is we got into this off on a sidetrack talking about fevers in kids and breaking fevers and should you, should you not using Tylenol, blah, blah, blah. Inflammation and in that case of fever has gotten a bad rap, right? And so th they're giving Tylenol to break fevers before the fever has even had a chance to do its job, right? Inflammation is not the enemy. It's uncontrolled inflammation that's the enemy. And that's the key. And that's the cell danger response. That's what Lyme does because it's a constant irritant. It doesn't give your system a chance to clear the infection and then calm back down. And that's what creates a lot of this damage that lasts long after the bug is killed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, awesome. Yeah. So once again, the three phases on the Lyme journey roadmap are reboot, resolve, and restore. And this episode, we are talking about the restore and thinking outside the tick, finding other causes that may be at the root of your recurring, not just recurring, but ongoing symptoms that weren't cured after you killed the Borrelia, the Babesia, got rid of the, the toxins, bar. the Epstein bar, right? Whatever it is that you personally are dealing with parasites, right? All that nasty stuff. And if you're interested, we have a graphic organizer of the roadmap. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com, click on the extras menu, and you'll see it listed there. Uh, 
It's a basic format right now. We will be fleshing that out as time goes on. But right now, it'll give you an idea of, of the steps and the steps on healing where you are. Now, it doesn't tell you how fast you're going to go through those steps, but you do have to go through all those steps if you want to completely heal from Lyme disease. So that's number one. And number two, for each step, you need a plan A and a plan B. So if you go to plan B, that then becomes your plan A and you need another plan B. So always have a backup plan. Taking the emotional hit of putting all your eggs in one basket and having that therapy fail can be devastating. So just know it's not a failure. It's just another step on your journey. I think that's super important. It's another reason to have the roadmap in front of you. So you just have an idea of where you are and where you're going. There are no magic bullets yet. There might be, but right now it takes lots of guts, hard work, and perseverance to heal from Lyme disease. Also, if you have any feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything, send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Yep. Keep those comments coming. We get tons and tons of suggestions. We love them. We're trying to incorporate them as quickly as we can. We've got a great episode coming up next week on CBD. I learned a lot from this man, and I think you will too. His name is Mike Patchum. All right. And if you really like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, Radio, I can say that three times fast, (laughs) hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss an episode. And if you really, really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app. It helps us reach more people like you. Hang on. Have we got, let me go to right now. Have we gotten a new one? We will keep talking. (laughs) We're going to be like NPR. And keep talking until you make a pledge. <laughs> no. We Nor, just wanted, where's our Alex Trebek music when da, you need da, it? Da, da, da. Wait, where's, is it at the bottom? I'm scrolling. No, you no, need to like go the, to, to the top. You need I don't to, even know how to use my own podcast app. You need to go onto that. On the episode? Yeah. Oh, you can hear it in the background. And then wait. And now what? And scroll down. Scroll down. Episode notes. No. See, this is not as easy as I thought. I thought this was easy. <laughs> All right, so I'm taking everything mean I said back about you listeners, trying to figure out how to leave. Continue listening. This is, it's going through every single episode, and there are a lot of them. Oh, all the way at the bottom, write a review. Here we go. October 22nd. Excellent. Who is this? No words of appreciation. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Anyway, I guess we can stop talking now because we have a new... But we're in November now. It's time for a November. <laughs> you know, Aurora and I looked at other like super famous podcasts. Now, some of the major ones, they have hundreds of reviews, right? But some of the in-between ones, they have less reviews than we do. And they have way more listeners. And that's a testament to you guys out there and the passion you have for getting healthy again. So keep it up. We love you. We love talking to you. We're not going away anytime soon. Yep. But really, might. you guys are the reason why we do this. We would not have stuck out to 252 episodes if you guys, if we, if we didn't know that you guys were out there listening. Oh, very well done, Aurora. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we got a review and we <laughs> left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know ninjas don't bowl strikes? They knock one down and the other nine faint.
Lyme Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lyme Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lyme Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lyme Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.